As I was getting ready for this morning, the word that kept coming to mind was the word family. And it could be because of the Smooth Stone Awards. You know, you just think about family and relationships and being together. It could be, I mean, look around, guys. I mean, it's kind of like family. Like, it's all decorated for Christmas in this place, right? Family. It could be the presence. I don't know if everyone can see this. If you can't see this, uh, in the previous services, I told people like, hey, seriously, get up and walk around so that you can see all the presents if you can't see that. And no one got up. They're like, I'm not walking around in the middle of your sermon. Like, I'm just not going. So they, that's fine. You can stay right there. But following the service, really do this. Come up and, and just get a look at what's going on here. This is phenomenal. Because it'll be gone after today. That's why I'm telling you, you need to see this today. We're partnered with the Samaritan House. It's an organization in our community. And so these presents have to be organized. And then they're going to be distributed to families all over the community. And what I want you to do is don't just like... Wrap up the present and bring it in. I'm so thankful that you did that. But let's continue to be in prayer for individuals and families in our community through the Christmas season. Let's not just get the gift and be like, whoo, paid some money, we're good. No, we want to continue to come alongside and be praying for the individuals and families in our community. The women's tea. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if you know this or not, but there were over 300 gathered on Friday night and Saturday for the women's tea. Um, that's either women who were gathering or guys who were serving. I was here um, as part of the group on Friday night serving. It was just a phenomenal event. Our hope is that you'll get to see some pictures and maybe even a video of that next weekend. We want to make sure to get that ready to show you. Uh, but I do want to stop and say thank you. Thank you to those who hosted a table to those who helped set up this whole entire space. Now think about this real fast, just for a moment. We know the event ended about 9 o'clock, roughly, right? Ended about 9 o'clock. There were round tables all over this room. There was food all over. You know, I mean, we had a lot of people eating dinner, right? And so there was food all over the place. One of the rooms had been converted into a kitchen, and it all had to be put back to be like this so no one would know the difference come Sunday morning because rehearsals start at 6.30 in the morning. Yeah, so to the army of people who stayed late last night to get it looking back like this, thank you. Thank you so much for serving. Thank you for um, just being part of the family, right? This is what we do. Last week, we gave away poinsettias. Do you remember that? Like, so if you're joining us for the first time, we had, I don't know if they're plants or flowers. I really honestly, someone's going to clear that up for me eventually. All I know is you're not supposed to feed them to cats. That's all I know now. But the point said is we're all over the stage last week, and we encouraged every family, take one. And there was a, a Woodside card in there as well. And then we encouraged people, just go give it to someone. Anyway, just tell them Merry Christmas. Pray for them. Tell them Merry Christmas. We received stories back from these poinsettias. Someone gave them to a bus driver. We had someone else, a really cool story just about how her neighbor was going through the unthinkable. Like, really, she didn't know her neighbor was going through this when she gave the poinsettia to her. And she said, your timing is so God-ordained. There's no way you could have known what I've been struggling with and what I've been dealing with. And just that touch was an answer to prayer. Like, just amazing. So church continued to share these stories. Like, I, I think it's so good for us to celebrate as a church what the Lord is doing in and through everyone in this room. And speaking of family, we have a photo booth happening downstairs. If you did not get your picture taken before the service, please make sure as soon as the service is over, you'll want to go fast. As soon as the service is over, get downstairs to get your photo taken. Some of you, you wore your Christmas sweater. I almost, I almost wore this. Here's what I almost wore. Yeah. 
Now that nose is hard to tell from that angle, but the nose on the bear is actually like a black ball and like it's wiggly and you know, like if you, it'll wiggle around like that. And I got this poodle now, he, but he's like not what you think. He's a big poodle. He's like a man poodle. So he's tough, you know, he's, he's like this big, like he, he's a tall poodle and he's like seven months old and he's crazy. And when he saw me taking the photos, Gabe was taking the picture for me, uh, the dog kept trying to eat the nose off the bear. And so for a lot of reasons, I thought I'm not wearing that. I thought what a distraction would that be when I go to preach from wearing that thing like that, some of you would just be gone. Like you'd be staring at that the whole time. Go downstairs, get your photos taken. And then here's what we're going to do next week. We're going to print the photo this week. We're going to have all the photos printed. We're going to have it just as a gift to you. We'll have the photo ready to be given to you next weekend. Also next weekend, be here early. Like seriously, you'll want to get here a little bit early because our kids will be singing. We have our kids Christmas program that will be happening next weekend. It'll be like a little piece during the worship service. But that means there's going to be families visiting. There's going to be friends visiting. And so we'll have to do the scoot over some probably. So just be ready for it. The overflow room will be ready just in case. That room will be uh, ready. But you'll want to get here early so that we can get all set for this. It's going to be an incredible time. It's going to be a really uh, good time. So family. So I was thinking about family. I started thinking about, you know, how all families, a lot of times there's traits that kind of run through the family. Do you know what I mean? Like we have the same kind of hair. We have the same, like my ears, when you hit that biology class and you have to sit there and say, are your ears attached or unattached? I was the freak in the class where they went, he's both. Like what's wrong with his ears? And then so I look at my kids like, did you pick up that trait? And maybe you do that, like we got traits kind of, well, like this, look at this. You have this on the left is the mom. On the right is the daughter. Is that weird or what? Like you, there's just so much. Or this next picture. This is a father on the left and the son recreated on the right the photos. Kip helped me find these pictures. So it's kind of like a rocker guy that Kip's like, oh yeah, this is a good one. We need to show this one. And I like how the son tends to do more the, yeah, thanks, stay right there. The son tends to do more the smolder, I think, than the dad does. Anyway, next picture. We have a dad on the left and his daughter on the right. Is that weird to anyone else? Like you look at it and you're like the chin and the, the lips and the eyes and it's so, that's just bizarre, bizarre. And then the last one, we have a grandmother on the left and the granddaughter recreating the photo on the right. I would say a grandma and a granddaughter, but you guys wouldn't understand me. And so you'd be like, what did he say? But if I said grandma... Then you'd be like, oh, a grandma, I'm tracking. So I just wanted to avoid confusion by saying a grandmother and a grand. Isn't that incredible? Like, what about your family? Think about, think about your family. Do you have traits? And I don't mean looks. I know we have blended families. I know we have some families who have adopted. So I don't, I'm not even talking looks. I mean, do you have certain traits where it's just the way your family does things? And you may not even realize it's weird till someone comes to visit. And then you're going to be like, what? Everyone doesn't eat their pizza like this? You know, and, and then you just got those things. Or maybe it's the way you guys laugh. Or maybe it's just rhythms and routines that you have. You do, don't you? Like every family, you've kind of got these traits where everyone knows you're kind of one of those. You belong to that family based on how you've responded to everything. Family. Family is going to be a theme you're going to see throughout the morning. Guys, it is the Christmas season, and I don't think I've introduced myself. I'm Billy Creech. I'm your campus pastor. And at this month, we're looking at a very interesting section of the Bible, a very unique section. It's Matthew chapter 1. Let's go in our Bibles there now. Matthew chapter 1. 
It's unique because it really goes all Ancestry.com on us. It starts talking about Abraham and starts talking about God's promises. But as it continues to weave its way through the line of Jesus' family, Matthew mentions about 50 different individuals through this. What we find is we find a bunch of normal, messy, broken people. Now, when I meet with people throughout the week, I get to talk with a lot of people. You know the kind of people I normally talk to? I talk to normal people, messy people, broken people. That tends to be who I, who I end up talking to, right? Just normal, messy, broken people. That's us, right? We're just a bunch of normal people. We're messy people. We're broken people. And what I love is when you follow the line of genealogy of Jesus, that's exactly what you find. That's who you see listed in the pages of Scripture. And that is such great news for us because it means that if there's room enough for one more in God's family, that we are welcome, church. You don't have to be perfect to enter God's family. Normal, messy, broken people are the people that realize that we're in need of him. So today's section is section two in the family tree. Last week, we went from Abraham to David. That's where we went last week. If you missed it, be sure to go listen to the podcast of it. Uh, you can listen. It's online. You can listen to the sermon there. This week, though, we're going to be talking about the line in the family tree that's really full of royalty. It's full of kings. This is the section dealing with kings. And when I hear royalty, you know what I think? I think like the white gloved hand with someone doing this. I don't know who taught them to wave like that. You know, normal people don't wave like that, right? Royalty waves like that. You know, most people, they kind of do this. If you're in the South, they'll kind of do a, yeah, that's what you get. You get the head nod with the hand. That's about all you get. You know, maybe some people, they'll wave like that. I guess if you're royalty, you can't do that too much. You get arthritis in your fingers, so they just kind of do this. But that's not what this is talking about at all. What this is talking about is this huge family with this common trait weaving its way even through the kings, and the trait is that of rebellion. Now, maybe when I asked about traits in your family, you were thinking through, well, yeah, we do kind of eat that way, and, or this is the kind of food we like, or this is what we always do on Friday nights, and you're thinking through those kind of traits. Maybe rebellion was not a trait that you initially thought of, but if you slow down and you pause to think about it, then you're going to realize point one is true. Point one is that rebellion runs in the family. Let's look at Matthew chapter one. We'll start in verse six today. Verse six. It says, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And so Matthew's genealogy jumps in right where we left off with David the king. Last week, we looked at how Jesse was the father of David the king. And in the first century, you have to go back to the people who first heard this truth. When they heard that genealogy for the first time, and you said uh, Jesse was the father of David the king, their hearts would have jumped. Right? Because they would have said, yeah, David. David's the best, right? David is the man after God's own heart. David is the one who picked up the five smooth stones and he fought the giant and he killed Goliath, the Philistine, right? He killed him. David was the one. He had the opportunity to take out his rival Saul and instead he honored him. He could have killed Saul's family and yet he takes his grandson and says, come on into the royal family. David, David is the one, the man after God's own heart. He wrote almost, not all the Psalms, but he wrote almost all the Psalms. He wrote a majority of them. David was the one who went and got the Ark of the Covenant and marched it right back down into Jerusalem. Do you remember that scene? As he marched into Jerusalem, he just threw his arms open and he danced right in the middle of the street. He didn't care who was looking totally unashamed of his worship to the Lord, David. That 
King David. And so in the first century, if a Jewish person would have heard, we're going to have a king, a king that will be the king of the people forever, and he's going to come from the line of David, they would have said, yes, David, the king. And yet, verse number six really messes with our understanding of King David being an honorable king because it says David was the father of Solomon. In your Bible, you need to underline this next part because it says, by the wife of Uriah. And, and I read that and I'm almost like, Matthew, why, why'd you do that? Like it's kind of, I don't know what the word is, curious, odd, weird, I don't know. Okay, that's a weird way to say it. You could have said, Matthew, you could have said, you know, David, who was the father of Solomon, and move on. Like, we know it's back there, right? We know, but nope, he wants to point it out. You could have said, David, David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba. But he's very intentional, church. He's very intentional at pointing out the sin Right here, great, David's greatest sin. He goes back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. David, at this point, was supposed to be off with his army in battle. Most of you, you know this story, right? David was supposed to be off with his army in battle. And instead, he was being distracted by being passive in his life, not being engaged in the battle. He was being passive back at home. And he turned his back on the Lord. He turned to lust. He turned to adultery. And he had a relationship with Bathsheba. And you guys know that she ended up pregnant, right? So she ends up pregnant. And David's knee-jerk reaction at that point was, I need to hide this. I need to cover this up. I need to pull back a little bit, and I need to figure out game plan. So here was his plan. We're going to get Uriah to come home, and I'm just going to call him. He's going to be on leave for a little bit, and during that time, he won't be able to help himself. He'll go have some relations with his wife, and then we'll just blame the pregnancy on him, and he'll just raise a kid. He'll never know the difference. That's what we're going to do. The only problem was, you see, Uriah was one of David's mighty men. Do you know about David's mighty men? He had 37 of the best and the brightest men, 37. Think about this, the whole army, 37. We're talking like Navy SEAL types, uh, Green Berets, Army Rangers, like what it, the best of the best of the best of the best. When you take that group of elite soldiers that we have and you say, yeah, but if I took the commanders of all of them, that's what we're talking, 37 of the best soldiers, David's mighty men. That number would grow to 80 later, but right now it's 37, 37. He said, Uriah, I want you to come back. We need to have a meeting. Uriah comes home. But see, Uriah is like, in this place, I'm still on duty. I'm still in battle. I'm not going to go have a lot of drink. I'm not going to go and spend uh, the time with my wife right now because it's not what I'm doing here. That would dishonor my king. And not only would it dishonor my king, it would dishonor the men who are still out there waiting for me to return. I need to get back to them as soon as possible. When we all come back, when we all come back, okay, then we will live it up and we'll be with our wives and all of it, but not until then. And so David, still desperate to cover up his sin, still desperate to hide his sin, he sends Uriah to the worst imaginable situation ever so that he would die, and that's exactly what he did. So doesn't that make you wonder, Matthew, why would you do that? David had so many good things about him, so many honorable things, so many good things. Why is this the trait? Why is this the sin that you're so adamant in pointing out? And here's what I think. I think Matthew does that because David is the best king we could imagine. If you think of earthly king, take the best 
king we can put together, someone who's noble, someone who's brave, someone who's artistic and musical, but someone who's also a warrior. Like he's almost like, where does this kind of person come from? Here's David. And yet in that, he still has this flaw, and it's the flaw of rebellion. You see, no matter how religious we think we might be, we're still marked by sin. David failed here. He failed to protect his family. He failed to stand by the soldiers he was supposed to be standing by. He failed to guard his eyes. He failed to guard his heart. He failed to have accountability in his life because he isolated. He sinned, and then he isolated himself, and then he tried to cover it all up so that no one would know. He didn't repent of his sin. He tried to hide it and cover it up. I think when we listen to the story, if we really slow down, I think the reality is most of us can identify with it. I think most of us can identify with, I'm not perfect. Maybe it's not Bathsheba looking at her on a rooftop. Maybe that's not it, but we all have our sins where it takes a hold of us and we try to hide it and we try to cover it up. You see, from Adam and Eve all the way to you and to me, this thread of rebellion is just a reality in our lives. Even in the very, very, very best we can come up with, we're talking about kings right here. We're not talking about prostitutes. We're not talking about just some rough guy who works on the corner. No, we're talking about the best kings. And when you understand that, when you understand that this is a thread that weaves its way to all of our families, you can move to point two where we say rebellion is us, even at our best. Take the best of who we are. Look at verse seven. Let's go back to scripture. So David, David with Bathsheba had Solomon, and that's where we're going to pick up. And Solomon, the father of Reboam, and Reboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, and Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. Whoo! You ever, you ever like start reading that section? That right there, right there. That's why a lot of you guys just skip over Matthew 1, that part of it, right? You're like, I'm going to skip down, get to the story part, because there's a whole lot of names. I'm not sure I can pronounce them, right? So you just skip down. But there's a reason those names are there, right? We need to remember these names are kings. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, before David has rebelled. This is before that. God made David a promise. He said, David, it's from your line. It will be one of your sons, meaning your son, 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 sons. It'll be one from your line who will be the king of all kings. And he will rule over the people forever. David, that's going to come from you. Now, church, here's what I want to point out. That promise was made just because David rebelled. Just because David sinned doesn't mean that God all of a sudden says, forget it, David, I'm changing my mind. Right? That's good because, church, you and I, we're normal people. We're broken people. We're messy people. Just because you sin does not mean that God ever changes his promises. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. We can't ever forget that. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, which is beautiful. And so here we have this list. And let me real quickly break this list down because you have some of the best kings ever listed in this group and some of the most wicked kings ever listed in this group. And it's almost, and here's why I mention it, because you would think with David, this man after God's own heart, and yet there was Bathsheba, you would think that after David, 
the next one's better, and the next one's better, more noble, better character, loves people more, more noble, just good fellows, right? We would think just overall really good guys, and yet that's not where we see Solomon. Solomon had so many things going in with his wisdom for him, with his wealth, and yet we see this idol by his lust and his pleasure for wealth. We see in Rehoboam. Rehoboam completely split the kingdom because of his harsh treatment for the people, because of his pride. He completely took Israel, and Israel became two separate nations, two separate kingdoms during that time. You have Abijah. 1 Kings 15.3 says he walked in all the sin his father before him had committed as he had not wholeheartedly devoted himself to the Lord. He was not, listen, he was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. I think that's the worst thing anyone could ever say about me. Not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. Would anyone ever say that about you? Not wholeheartedly devoted. Some devoted, mostly devoted, kind of devoted, not, not wholeheartedly devoted. The book of Revelation wants to say it. It says, I wish that you were hot or cold, not lukewarm. Because when you're lukewarm, it makes, you want to do, makes me want to spit you or vomit you out of my mouth. I don't, I don't want anyone ever to look at me and say, yeah, he's kind of wholehearted. He's not totally wholehearted, though. He's just a little bit wholehearted. But see, all of a sudden, there's a change. There's a turn in the kings because Asa comes along. And Asa is one who does what's right in the sight of the Lord. And then Jehoshaphat comes along. And Jehoshaphat's another one where it's like we've got some rhythm. We've got some momentum now. It says in 2 Chronicles 17 that he walked in the earlier ways of his father David, meaning in the positive way of his father David. And then you have Jehoram, which is where we slam on the brakes and go the other way because he's super wicked. Right? He's a bad guy. And so you have this constant pace of so, some good kings and some wicked kings. And I didn't even talk about the worst of the worst. I didn't even talk about Manasseh. Like, I didn't even go there. There's Old Testament professors who would say things like, he's nasty Manasseh, which is weird. Like, don't say that. But that's what he used to say. So anyway, this family tree. You had this family tree where you had some really, really good ones and some really, really bad ones. And that's probably what your family tree looks like, isn't it? It's a family tree where we would look and we get going in a rhythm and there's some good and, and there's some bad. And those that are bad oftentimes try to hide it and cover it up. So as a little boy, uh, grandma and grandpa would pick me up for church. Um, they would pick me up for church and the expectation was clear. If I was going to go to church with grandma and grandpa, I had to wear my Sunday best. And that always meant shoes that never fit me. Like, they'd be too tight. I don't know why I couldn't buy shoes that fit. But my, I'd have to scrunch up my toes at the end. You know, and they'd squeeze my feet. You might have those kind of shoes. You know, you squeeze your toes up at the end. I'd have to wear my fancy pants to church. I would have to tuck my shirt in and wear a button shirt. Like, I'd have to do all that. And so I would look great when I first got dressed. But that didn't last long, right? It never lasted long. One, because I would always, it's weird. I'd always crawl around on the ground. Um, my brother is seven years younger than me, and so to play with my brother, I'd have to get on my knees so we could be eye to eye and do things, right? If I'm going to play football and take him out, like I'd have to be on my knees at least. So it's kind of fair. And so I would get like dirt stains or grass stains or holes in the knees of my pants. And then my shirts, I would, uh, my dad called it John Wayne in it. He'd be like, John Wayne did. If you're a millennial, you need to like, 
You need to Google John Wayne. He's kind of famous. Like, he's kind of a big deal. Anyway, what I would do is after I would eat, I'd be there eating, and my napkin would be right here, but it's like that's too far away, I guess, right here. So I would I'd do like John Wayne, and i just right across my face. You know, that's how, I would, that's how I would clean my face up was with my arm right there. And if you sneeze, well, the tissue's right over there, and I have to get up and walk all that way. Nope, I'm like John Wayne. I just with my nose, you know, and it just clean it right up, clean as can be. And the thing is... It's funny about me, I'm not a germaphobe, I'm really not, but like I like to be clean. Like I really like to be clean. I really like to be clean. And um, as a church, I'd look at myself, I'd look at my arms, and I'd see all the food stuff and all the nose stuff, and I'd see the stains, and it, it would bother me like crazy. Like I would go in and try to wipe it and try to clean it and try to tidy myself, but that doesn't work, does it? But man, I would try. That's what our sin does. You see, oftentimes we try to put on the best self we can. I mean, we teach our kids that, don't we? Hey, don't lie, and you need to honor your father and your mother, and, and we need to be a person of character and integrity, and yet the whole time we know, every time we look in the mirror and we do the opposite, what do we do? We do what David did. We try to hide it. We try to cover it up. We try to print it up before anyone notices, and yet Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Just picture your heart out in the operating room as the Lord's looking, saying, no, this person's desperately sick. They need help, and they need help fast. Or we can look at Isaiah. Isaiah says in 64, 6, that all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. All. Church, all. If I take every good thing I've ever done in my life, all of it, and I take every good thing all of you have ever done in your life, and we put it right here, and we said, Lord, there it is. There's our, our, our mountain of righteousness right there. There it is. You know what the Lord would see? The very, very best that we have, he's going to go, yes, yeah, little Billy's shirt. That's what you gave me. He gave me little Billy's shirt where he John waned it. That's the very best that we have. It's like a polluted garment, Scripture says. And see, you have to come to that point for you to really understand the beauty, for you to really understand the beauty of Christmas, for you to really understand the beauty of Jesus coming. You need to understand the gravity of sin because when we understand the gravity of sin, we understand the results of that, which is our last and final point. Rebellion results in our exile, which means our removal, our separation. It results in our exile. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. So church, this message, this message was a hard one again to write. And it, it was hard because, probably because of right here. Because I'm like, Matthew, you end today in such a Debbie Downer kind of a way. Like, this isn't encouraging. Like, this doesn't fire me up. This is a really depressing end to this second section. First, he starts from Mount Josiah, which is awesome. Josiah, at the age of eight, became the king. He was an incredible king at the age of eight. For 31 years, he ruled. Here's what it says about him in 2 Chronicles 34. It says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. That's what I want people to say about me. Years and years and years and years from now, when it's time to retire, my hope would be that all my churches would look and they would say, not, 
Not like, man, there's a guy who when he was on a diet, he could say no to a bowl of ice cream. I hope it's more than that. And I, and I really hope that what they say about me isn't, man, there's a guy who he would turn on that weird southern accent and he knew how to tell a story to make you laugh. My, my hope is that at the end of my days, people would say, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's, that's what I want people to say about me. That's what I want my wife to say about me. I want my wife to be a person who says, yeah, I don't care who he is on Sunday morning. I see him all the week long. And right there is a man who works so hard to kill every idol in his life and destroy it and lift high the word of God in his life. I want my boys to look at me and my boys to be able to say, yeah, I see my dad not as pastor, but I just see my dad as dad. And I want them to say, I see my dad as a man who worships the Lord who truly lives out the calling of the gospel on his life. It's not like a, hey, a couple hours a week, he does this. That is my dad all the time. He does what is right in the eyes of the Lord. That's what I want. That's what Josiah had. Josiah reinstituted the Passover celebration for the Jews. And after 31 years, he dies. Next up is his son, and his son rules for a whole three months. That's it. Three months, and then the Egyptians come in. The Egyptians come in. They quickly boot him. They put Jeconiah in his place, and they say, now we have a puppet king. He'll do whatever we tell him to do. In fact, it says about Jeconiah in 2 Chronicles 36, 5, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. If you've been reading the Bible any amount of time, you know this is where the story goes downhill fast because the Babylonians end up at the gates, they end up destroying the wall around Jerusalem. They end up invading. King Nebuchadnezzar invades. They take the best and the brightest. They chain them up and they exile them, which means, yeah, you're now a prisoner. You're going to go live in Babylon. And I say that to say, imagine what it would be like to be the people of Israel in that moment. But God, you made a promise made a promise to David that there would come a king, a great king who would rule over the people forever. And yet we're looking and there are no more kings. In fact, our nation, people are scattered all over the place. Lord, what? what's going on? We're, we're waiting for someone to save us. And I imagine there were some people who went back and said, I don't, I don't get it. Didn't God promise Abraham I was going to give you a land? Yeah, the Lord promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. He didn't promise you get to stay there no matter what. He said you have to remain faithful. In fact, he says, he says in Deuteronomy 28 that the people did not obey the commands, that they would be exiled and they would be scattered all throughout the land. If you're visiting for the first time, I want you to hear this. Um, this is not a normal sermon here at Woodside Romeo. My favorite sermons are the ones where I say, let's climb mountains, slay dragons, let's charge hell with a water pistol, let's go create a ruckus in our community, right? Let's go love people with a reckless abandon. Let's do that. We can do that. Let's go. I love, 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 love those messages. But you will never understand the grace and the beauty of O Holy Night if you don't understand the righteous right hand of God. You can't understand one without the other. You can't understand grace and mercy without understanding Romans 1.18, which says the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness on his people for their rebellion. We can't forget what our rebellion leads to. 
Sometimes I think we read about David. We, we read about what happened with the Babylonians, and we don't think it applies to us. Church, we have sinned. Rebellion is called sin. The wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is the wages of sin is death. We all have sinned. The wages of sin is death. And if you haven't heard this stuff before, death meaning an eternal separation from you and God. An eternal separation, which brings us to our big idea today. If you forget everything else, this is the one thing I want you to remember, and I think you're ready to hear it now. The big idea today is that only God's king can rescue us from our rebellion. You know, some people, they were waiting for the king to come, that God had promised David, and that king's going to make us smarter, right? Some, some people, the savior you're looking for is one to make you smarter, or the, the, the Savior's going to come and make us better at business, and we'll be better networkers. You know, if the king comes, then I'll be a better networker. I'll make more money. Let's get to the bottom line. I'm going to make some more money. Financially, I'm going to be doing all right if the king comes along. And yet the entire time, we didn't need to be smarter. We didn't need to, to be better networked. We didn't need to have more money. We needed rescued. We needed saved. That's what we needed. The whole time that there was a separation, that's what we were after. So Jesus is the king who comes from the line of David. And just so we're clear, I want to go and recap it because the application, I think, is so clear today. Let me go over it one more time. Just picture one of these presents in your mind. God loves you. And, and what I love about that truth is he loves you right here, right now. It's not like he loves you if you go take a shower, you know, because like your sin is smelling up the place. It's not that. It's like he loves you right now. It's not like I love you if you wash your mouth out with soap because you got a filthy mouth. You need to clean that thing out, right? It's not that he loves you even while you're still a sinner. He loves you. The problem is because of our sin, because of our rebellion, it separates us from a holy God. God's not going to change. He's not going to move. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your sin separates you from God. That's why God said, I love you so much. You need a rescue plan. I'm going to send Jesus right in the middle of that story. I'm sending Jesus, and Jesus is going to do what no king has ever done before. He's going to live a perfect and sinless life. No king's ever done that. The best of the best kings has never been close to doing that. Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. When they crucified him to the cross, I want you to know that Jesus in that moment was paying for all of your sins, all of the sins of the person sitting to your left and your right. Jesus was paying the price once and for all. You see, we're, we're in this trap of trying to be better, of trying to wash up, of trying to hide the sin, of trying to isolate. When we do things wrong, what do we do? I want to push away people I care about and get alone because I'm ashamed and I don't want to acknowledge what I'm doing. We want to hide it. Jesus says, I'm going to pay the price once and for all. He was crucified. They placed him in a tomb. And on the third day, he conquered death and he rose from the dead. He rose from that grave. He rose from the tomb. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, so if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be not bettered, not smartered. You will be saved. That's the word the Bible used. You will be saved. You will be rescued. So my encouragement, my takeaway for you is this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never accepted that free gift, why not today? 
Like, why would you put that off? Today is the perfect day to stop and say, Lord, I believe. And for the rest of us, my encouragement is if there has been some type of rebellion that has weaved its way into your life, chop that stuff off. Don't let it live any longer. The sins of the Father continue to be passed out. Chop that stuff off, and let's start to put some new DNA down. And the other part is we're really good about talking around Christmas. We, we talk about Christmas sweaters. We talk about Christmas trees. We talk about Christmas presents. We talk about Christmas parties. We talk about Christmas songs. We got all this Christmas talk, and yet so many of us were, were quick to avoid that conversation that says, let me tell you about the beauty of real Christmas because it's a beautiful story. It's a story of the light piercing the darkness because we were so lost and so in need of a rescuer. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for the hope and the beauty and the majesty of Christmas. I pray that we never get tired of telling this incredible story. A story that's full of people who are normal and messy and broken. God, I pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ in this room that have allowed sin to start to permeate who they are. I pray that there's a place of conviction this morning where we chop that off, where we repent, where we turn. We turn to you. Lord, your yoke is light. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the beauty of Christmas. We thank you for the beauty of the cross. Lord, for the individual that maybe they've never surrendered their life to you, I pray for freedom in this moment to realize that it's not about checking a box on a card or raising their hand in the air, but it's a freedom to pray right now and just to say, Lord, I believe. It's a place for them to be able to say, I'm so sorry I've sinned. It's a place to say, I know that sin separates me from you, and so I thank you for Jesus. Jesus, I believe. Lord, we thank you for changing our lives. We thank you. We thank you for this church, for this family. We pray that we continue to step out our faith in a way that's a beautiful reflection of the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray.